get myself organised here. Fabulous. Well, I received that, Dave. I received that. I really felt um, a little bit adjusted by God in the worship when we were praying together. I was reminded of the scripture in Matthew 18 where Jesus said, Truly I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it'll be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I in the midst. There's, it's a biblical principle that there's great power in agreement. And we prayed. And as we prayed, we agreed together, trusting that God would bring answers and solutions and comfort and healing to all the people that we, uh, we referenced. I was reminded of um, a situation that we had some years ago when I was on the staff at Abundant Life in Bradford. I'm talking back 20, 2007, 2008, that sort of time, where we were putting an extension on the building, on the physical building. And it had taken us months and months to get planning permission and get all the plans done and all the stuff that you need for that sort of thing. <clears throat> and it was a couple of million pounds. It was quite a big extension. And uh, I remember the day, vividly, when the architect came to um, my office to get me to sign the contract on behalf of the church. So that was a good day. After all the trouble we'd had getting this thing moving and collecting the money and all the rest of it, it was a good day. So he comes up to my office and he waltzes in and I know he's coming. He's bringing the contract to me. And it was a summer's day. He walked in. He had a T-shirt on carrying nothing. And, and, and I said to him, hi. Oh, so I thought you were bringing the contract for me to sign. Anticipating at least a briefcase or something a bit formal. He said, he said ah, oh, uh, it's coming. Don't worry, it's coming. I said, oh, okay. And he sort of stands back and into my office walks a young guy from his office with three great big boxes. Each one like a box of photocopier paper, you know, about, about a foot thick. And he staggered in. <laughs> and he dropped these boxes on my desk. Doomph. And then went, oh, okay, boof. There's one for you and doomph. There's one for the builder and boof. Copy for us. Whew. Please sign the top sheet. So each contract was this thick, like a foot thick. So I, I, I said to him, so that's why I pay you such a lot of money. <laughs> I mean, there's no way I'm going to read all this, is there? You want, you want me to sign it in good faith. Don't worry, he said, don't worry. You know, this is an excellent contract. And, it's, you know, in this documentation here, there's every plan, there's every piece of concrete and steel and nut and bolt and every term and condition as to what would happen if something went wrong. It's, it's all in the contract. Please sign. So we had a bit of a joke and a cup of coffee and signed the contract. And off he went, and I never thought another thing about this contract. Each day I would drive to the church building... And as I swept into the car park, the building was starting to go up. And suddenly, you know, the steel appears. And I'm thinking, oh, I love this. just love a good building project. And then the, the windows start to go in and a bit of the roof goes on. And we're kind of like two-thirds in. One day I arrive and there's not much activity seemingly going on. 
doesn't really register with me. Go to my office. I get a call from the architect. Um, Steve, got some rather serious situation I need to talk to you about. Um, you may have noticed there's not many builders on site today. I said, well, I didn't actually notice any. He said, well, exactly. Because yesterday the builder went bust. He said, so they're not coming back to site. Well, my Lord, I went into panic mode. I kind of like, what? That, that can't be. I mean, they're a substantial company. You know, we checked them out. You recommended them, Mr. Architect. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm going through all this stuff in my head. And, like, and then I'm thinking, it's not watertight. Well, what happens tomorrow? What about all the wires that are hanging out? What about all the pipe? Oh. And my mind's going away. And he said to me, calm down. Do you remember that day you signed the contract? <laughs> Suddenly, I'm back in the room with the big contract. He says, well, all being well, that contract will now save your life. Because the terms and conditions, he said, it's a good contract. And hopefully that will empower us now to be able to still keep some momentum, get others in and one thing and another. He said, because it was a good agreement, it was a good contract. Well... That's fine, but I'm a pastor, right? So we're going to pray. <laughs> so whilst it's true that the technical contractor did serve us well, I'm on the phone to all the other staff, to the pastors. I'm getting the prayer chain moving. We've got to pray, we've got to pray, we've got to pray. And we reached to God and we prayed, God, please let us not miss a beat. Lord, please let the church not be robbed of money and resources by this eventuality. And Lord, bless the company. Bless those that are losing their jobs because of this. And we, I believe we prayed the power of agreement. And God blessed us. I don't know how this happened, but we ended up paying less for that building the than, than the original contractor had quoted for. And when I, at the end, when I'm talking to the quantity surveyor and the architect saying, I, just, I still don't understand how this has happened, but we've saved X amount of money. He said, yeah, we don't really either. But you've done it, but it's all about that contract, that agreement. You see, you need a building agreement that's watertight. And when it comes to building church... I think we need a similar kind of spiritual building agreement. There needs to be some cohesion, some sense of we agree to some things together to build the church of God. Now, I want to take you this morning into a story in the Old Testament, which is all about building. There's a guy called Nehemiah in the Old Testament. Who's heard of Nehemiah? Okay, some of you have, that's good. Nehemiah was raised up by God to rebuild Jerusalem at a very low point in Israel's history. And the basic situation, I guess we could say, went something like this. That God's people had not walked with God. They'd not kept his word or his ways. And God, being true to himself had allowed them to suffer the consequences of that, which was that they ended up in exile in Babylon. And for 70 years, they were away from the land of Israel, away from Jerusalem, and their enemies, the Babylonians, had sacked the city. They'd ripped the temple down, 
burnt the gates, pulled the walls down, effectively trying to rub God's people off the map. Whoa, not good. Nehemiah himself is in Babylon. He's been taken captive, and he's got a good job working in the palace, uh, which I'll come to in a minute, but he's, he's there away from it, and there's a mess back in the land. Let's just read a few verses from the start of the story, just to contextualize this for you. In chapter 1, it starts this way. It says, In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, so that's in Babylon, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah, which is where Jerusalem is, <clears throat> with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. So even though he's miles away, he's still got some concern for the city of God, of where God dwells. And they said to me, oh, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem's broken down. Its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, and he launches into a long prayer. Interesting. He's, he's driven to pray like we've done this morning. He's driven to pray that God would help the city get away from what they describe here in verse 3 as great trouble and disgrace. Great trouble and disgrace. See, well, what, what was the trouble? Why was it a disgrace? I'll tell you why it was a disgrace. Because Jerusalem was where God dwelt. In that season, Jerusalem was the city of God. So if you wanted, if you'd heard, let's, let's perchance you'd heard of the God of Israel. Now, of all the gods of the nations that, that were worshipped in those days, you thought to yourself, the God of Israel sounds like a good God. I mean, they say he's the only God. I'm not sure yet, but maybe I'll go check him out. In fact, let's go and visit the God of Israel and let's check him out. So if you bought your ticket, you know, for the long donkey ride to Jerusalem, as it would have been in those days or whatever, and you think, I I'm going to go and check it out. And you get yourself across the world and you arrive in Judea and you get yourself to Jerusalem. And when you get there, you go, oh, the city's in ruins. I thought he was a great God. I thought he was a powerful God. I, what's gone on here? Oh, and the locals would say, well, sadly, sadly, the city's been overthrown by the Babylonians. Yeah, and all the good people have been shipped off to Babylon. And there's just a few peasants left looking after the sort of fields and looking after it for the Babylonians now. Where, yeah, it's not good. No, it's, more, it's worse than that. You're in trouble and disgrace. God's name was disgraced because of the state of his city. The state of his address. The people were in trouble because they were supposed to be a light to the Gentiles. They were supposed to be modeling how good God is to the nations around. and They're in trouble and disgrace. And that's what Nehemiah is articulating here. It's not good. It's not good that God's address is in a mess. 
Now roll the reel a few thousand years down the line. What is God's address today? You're it. We're it. The New Testament teaches that each one of us who give our lives to Jesus are living stones. 2 Peter 5, 7 says, we're living stones being built together. Ephesians says we're being built together into a spiritual house, a temple, in which God dwells by his Holy Spirit. So these days, when the spiritual tourist is looking for, where's the God of the Christians? I've heard he's supposed to be a good God, benevolent God, kind, comfort, can do things, he's powerful. Where do they go to find him? They come to church. And if when they come to church, they find the equivalent of us being a heap of rubble, (laughs) our gates being burned, if they find us in infighting, falling out with each other, bickering, gossiping, if they find us dysfunctional, they're going to go, oh yeah, go to the Christians, yeah. Lord of Tosh, what they told me about him, isn't it? It's not right, is it? I mean, look at the state of them. See, we have, we have the power to give God a bad name. People could enter our community, our local church, and come away feeling, yeah, no. I'd never, ever want on my watch the local church that I'm a part of, the lives that I'm building mine alongside to be that spiritual temple, to be said by others to be in trouble and disgrace. I want it to be a, a fit temple that represents Jesus well. Because we are Jesus. We are God on high. We're the fleshed out body of Christ. If people are going to find God, they find him through us. Now I'm not perfect and you're not perfect. And that's all right. But what I do know is there's a a divine stonemason somewhere. And he has a way of chipping off my rough edges and helping me to fit next to the other living stones a little bit better so that when we do gather and we pray in agreement, you know, where two or three gatherers were said earlier, there's power there. God chooses to dwell by his spirit amongst us. He chooses to act and work through us. So I see this, this parallel between the story of Nehemiah, who's dealing with God's address back in the Old Testament, and the local church. This morning, it's King's Church, who is the current address of God Most High in Newport, together with all the other local churches. But we're talking about this one in particular today. God wants us to build strongly, and I believe to build strong, we've got to do it in agreement. Where we disagree, where we fracture, it's like the walls are being dismantled a little bit. Ah, It's not good, is it? We have to be a strong, vibrant, positive community of imperfect people being shaped by Jesus to build together something of beauty. So that when people approach us, when they are approaching God, they're touched by what they find. Now, you know, when, when I had the building extension that I told you about, 
It was the contract that saved us. It was literally the building agreement. And I got, that got me thinking. I wonder if in Nehemiah's rebuilding of the walls, there was any sense of agreement between the builders. So I kind of reread the story through the, the, the eyes of what's the level of agreement like? And I've come to the conclusion they had a building contract. They had a building agreement. It's kind of implicit rather than explicit. I don't think they had a foot of paper that they all signed like I did. I think there was a sense amongst the builders of, we all agree about what we're doing here. We all agree about the greater purpose. And I believe for kings, for you guys, to be the strong, vibrant expression of Christ that you need to be, there needs to be a strong sense of agreement amongst you. I want to suggest two or three things to you that I find in Nehemiah's story that we need to find in our local church contexts like this. And the first is this. Where we just read, Nehemiah felt something. He says, I heard, I heard what they said. And he says, well, it drove him to tears. Now, he was distraught because the church... Sorry, because Jerusalem was in a mess and the people of God were in trouble and disgrace. And because he was distraught, it moved him. And did you spot what it moved him to do? It moved him to pray. It moved him to fast. It moved him to appeal to God. I think he was moved to pray because he felt something. And I would suggest to you, the first implicit term of agreement you need as local church builders today is you've all got to feel something and what you've got to feel is what God feels there needs to be an unwritten term of agreement between you that says hey we're in this church because we all feel what God feels about this church and we all feel what God feels about Newport and about Wales all the things that we sang about in the worship we feel it, not in your emotions, but in your spirit. You catch the heart of God. You see, I think Nehemiah's pain over Jerusalem was what God felt about Jerusalem. It was an Old Testament equivalent of when Jesus looked at Jerusalem in the, in the gospel and he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I'd long to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and but you've stormed the prophets and you've rejected me. It's like God's in pain because of his rebellious people. I think Nehemiah caught a bit of that. Now, as you read on in the story, I think there's further evidence that he felt something. Chapter 2 of Nehemiah tells us that the next day after he's heard this news and he's prayed and fasted, he goes to work and he works for the king. Now, if you work for the king, you know, you've got to have all your buttons on and your braining gear because I'm sure the king's not going to tolerate fools around him. So he's a cupbearer, part of the catering staff in the palace, but must have been highly uh, trusted and appreciated to be a cupbearer to the king. So he comes and he's doing his work and he says in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for the king... I took the wine and gave it to him. I had not been sad in his presence before. So he's feeling it. It's on him. Is this weight. 
He said, I'd not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, hey, Nehemiah, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? <laughs> you, know, you know, you seem to be healthy, fit, everything's all right. Why are you glum, buddy? Come on, what's going on? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. So the king's pretty discerning. Now, of course, Nehemiah's on the spot now. It's like, mm, I wonder if he tried to hide it. <laughs> I suspect he probably had. And he says, I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Uh, why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins? Its gates have been burned with fire. And the king said to me, hmm, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven. That must have been one of those arrow prayers going up, God help me. God, give me the words, help me in this moment. I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. And the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, hmm, they obviously had a big discussion, how long will your journey take, when would you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. Now, if you keep reading the story, you discover about how they got the resources and the timbers and the stone and letters of commendation. Uh, God was so good to them. <laughs> and they set off on the journey to rebuild the city of God. Why? Because they felt something. If you're going to build a great church in Newport, you've got to feel something for Newport. You've got to feel something for one another as fellow builders, fellow living stones. If you don't feel it, you won't do it. You just won't do it. If you're just a church attender, if you come and go when you please, if it's kind of just nice to be with your buddies, it's not going to cut it. We've got to catch God's heart. There's got to be a sense of agreement between us. We all feel what God feels. But you think, he say, well, Steve, I'm not sure I do feel it. Uh, what, what am I supposed to feel? Okay, well, can I ask you to pray that God will give you his heart for this church and this city? Ask God to give you his heart. Because when you begin to see people through his eyes... And as, you, as you're doing your shopping at Asda and wandering around Friars Walk and when you're up and down the riverside walking your dog or out on your bike in the local towns and villages, see people through God's eyes. It'll move you to do what Nehemiah did. It'll move you to pray for them. It'll move you to reach them. It'll move you to do some acts of kindness towards people. It'll move you to build the church. You see, building the church these days is all about people. It's all about where's the next living stone coming from to, to build into what we're doing together, isn't it? And the next living stone, to be honest, might live on your street, might live on my street, might be at the next desk at work, might be the person that you're buying your petrol from at the petrol station. They could be the next living stone that's going to get blasted out of the quarry of this world and become part of the community of God's people. People are the essence of building church. And it's not the leaders that do it all. It's all of us together agreeing, 
we're going to build this church. And we're going to build it with the heart of God running right through it. Because we actually agree. What unites us is that we all feel what God feels. We all feel what God feels. I'll tell you how you, can, you know if you're feeling it. Is that when, when Dave and Faye and leaders talk about the nature of the church and the plan of the church, when they talk about the reach and the renewing and the releasing that he's been doing the last three weeks, when he talks about that stuff, something in your spirit goes, yes, leaps a little, uh, identifies, agrees. That's what's happening. You're saying, yeah, I agree. So I'm going to come back next week. I agree. So I'm going to get a little bit more involved. Yeah, I agree. So I'm going to, I'm going to pray for my leaders. I agree. Yeah, so I'm going to put some money in the offering. I agree. Yeah, so I'm going to serve or whatever. But God will switch things on in you. He'll bring you to life as a fellow church builder out of the sense of agreement that you find together. So I definitely see in Nehemiah's story this implicit agreement between the builders that they all felt what God felt. And then I, you keep reading the story. You're obviously all going to have to go away and read Nehemiah after this, aren't you? <laughs> when you get to chapter 3, chapter 3 of Nehemiah is one of those chapters that you think, oh, I'll just skip over this. There's quite a few chapters like that in the Bible, if we're honest. <laughs> Isn't there? You get that and think, what is this all about? Let's keep moving. <clears throat> well, Nehemiah chapter 3 is a bit like that, simply because it's just a list of names. It's literally the names of the people who helped Nehemiah rebuild the walls. And it starts at a point called the Sheep Gate. And it basically says, this guy built next to this guy, built next to this guy, built next to this guy. And it goes down in a great big circle and comes back to the Sheep Gate at the end of the chapter. So why read that? Well, I'll tell you why I read it. Because put yourself in Nehemiah's shoes. He's been sent to rebuild the walls. So what does he need? He needs builders that know what they're doing. <laughs> he needs some skillful people. And when you read the list of who he's got, you discover that there's not a single builder amongst them. There ain't no, there's no building professionals listed in that chapter. In fact, what it basically, it's just bog-standard, ordinary people like you and me that are doing the building. I, I, I can't, I, when I first read this, I thought, this is bonkers. I mean, we won't read it all, but verse 8, for example, says, Uziel, son of Hariah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section. Goldsmiths? I mean, that's detailed work, not lumping big rocks around work. Then he carries on, he says, and Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. I want the wall to stand, not smell nice. Uh, verse 12 is another great example. It says, Shalom, son of Halasheth, ruler of half a district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section. So a ruler of half a district. So he's a, he's a civil servant. You know, he's one of your town councillors or something. And it says that he repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. Uh -huh. The girls are in it as well as the guys. 
You see? Absolutely. And the more you read down, there's merchants and shopkeepers, there's priests and local rulers. And you just get this impression. These are just the ordinary people of Jerusalem doing the work. They're not shipping in some professionals. Not shipping in... Just like you and I, when we build God's house, we don't leave it all to Dave and Faye. Who you might say are the professionals we employ. Aren't they the church builders? Don't we just follow them? No, they are spiritual leaders and pastors, but actually we are the builders. How do I know that? Well, I know it for a couple of other reasons. As I keep reading, there's another phrase that it uses a few times in chapter 3. Verse 10, for example, it says that Jedediah, son of Harumpa, made repairs opposite his house. Hmm. Verse 28, above the horse gate, the priests made repaired repairs each in front of his own house. Verse 29, next to them, Zadok made repairs opposite his house house Uh so where does building church begin begins opposite my house right where I live it doesn't begin it doesn't begin here on a Sunday morning it begins where I live where I do life because that's where the next living stones are that's where potentially the future building materials are wow And then I keep reading, and it it, it struck me that the most common word in the chapter is the word next. Nothing to do with the shop. Next. Because it says so-and-so built next to, so-and-so, next to, next to. And you realize everybody's building next to someone else. There's no isolated builders off doing their own thing thinking, oh, I don't like the old style. I'm going to go over here and I'll build this bit and put my, I'll put my panache on it. No, they're all building in unison, shoulder to shoulder. So when someone's flagging, there's someone alongside to encourage them and, and cover for them or whatever. I love it. And just the fact that it goes in the full circle teaches you there are no gaps. See, if everybody will get involved because we all feel what God feels... The walls get built, the church gets built without gaps by everybody pulling weight. Now, I don't think that happened by magic. I think that happened because there was a, an implicit agreement amongst them that said something like, we agree, we will all get involved in the building. We will not leave it to the professionals or the experts. We will not write ourselves off. Oh, I've not been a Christian long enough. Oh, I've got such a bad past. If you knew my history, you wouldn't let me touch this church. That's true of us all. We've all been sinners. We've all got history. We've all got skeletons in the cupboard. But Jesus has dealt with the history. Jesus has sorted the skeletons. We live clean, building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And God has put us together to build something of significance. And that takes a building agreement. I, I pray you can look across this room at all these wonderful people and go, ah, thank you, Jesus, for my fellow builders. This is what we've got. Let's not whinge about what we've not got. Let's celebrate what we've got. 
And thank you, Jesus, we all feel what you feel about this place. Thank you, Lord, that we're all in this together. That we're not this sort of, uh, some church <clears throat> building books will tell you that in most churches, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Uh, it's called the Pareto Principle, for some reason I can't remember. But ignore that comment. That The point is, not here. Never let 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Let it be shared amongst us all. You know, when you read the Acts of the Apostles and the way they built church in the New Testament, there's just wonderful sense of shared responsibility and shared caring and shared pastoring and the sense of we're doing this together. In Ephesians 4.16, it says that from Jesus, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Ephesians 5.16. You know, agreement actually means nothing until you get your hands dirty. Bottom line. You know, you can, you, could, you can come to the prayer meeting and come here on a Sunday morning and go, yeah, I agree, I feel it, guys, I'm with you guys. Okay, well, if you feel it, do something about it. Because if we all feel it, we will all get involved according to our skill set, our age, our passions. Just talk to someone, talk to your leaders about what you could do to help build this significant church. So, <clears throat> we all feel what God feels. We will all practically get involved in the building. Let me give you one third other implicit agreement I see in Nehemiah's story. You see, they were in trouble and disgrace, right? But they felt what God felt. They all got busy. And the result was they end up out of trouble and disgrace because God breathes on what they do. God blesses what they do. Because they felt what God has said, I kind of like they've, they've heard from God. It's as if they've responded to God's word. And it's like, come on. And they learned that if we will all respond to God's word together as one, we're blessed. We're blessed. And so in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15, it says... So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. 52 days. And apparently that was staggering because it says, when all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence. Why? Because they realized this work had been done with the help of our God. Amen. This work has been done with the help of our God. See, God can do more with us and through us than we can conceive or imagine. Which takes us right back to where we started the service this morning. <laughs> In Ephesians, that scripture that James read. God can do it. He's powerful. He will anoint the feeble works of our hands. I'm no good. I can't do anything. Yes, you can. Dare to believe. Feel what God feels. Get stuck in. Do just the little you can do. Because God can take your little and make it a lot. Don't you remember the loaves and fishes? Just bring your loaves and fishes. Let Jesus multiply it. Because God can do what we can't do. Now, 
I'm sure they must have sat back and looked at it and gone, woof, are we not awesome? In that, look what we've done in 52 days. I'm sure it drove them to thankfulness and to worship and to thank God for being with them. Because when you read the story, which I know you're all going to do later, you'll discover that they're under constant attack. Not everybody was happy with the fact that Jerusalem was being rebuilt and people's interests were, were being compromised. And so Nehemiah has a lot of opposition to deal with through the story. And so do we when we build church. Not everybody likes righteousness prevailing. Not everybody likes the kingdom of darkness being pushed back. So spiritual warfare is involved and we press through together because we feel it and we're all going to be involved in this process and when God speaks his word, we're going to respond to his word as one. It must be an unwritten term of our building agreement. We will respond to God's word together as one. Now, rebuilding the walls, I think, was a, it was a word from God. Nehemiah had heard it caught it, shared it with others, they'd caught it together, they'd done it. <clears throat> it was kind of it was kind of a project word. And I would suggest to you that in our modern day, churches are pretty good at responding to project words that God gives to them. So for example, you know, you've got great ministries like Jesus Cares. At some point that was an idea someone had. It was just an idea. It was, a, it was kind of a, a project word from God, and people took the idea, got behind it, applied for funding, got buildings, got staff, blah, 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 blah. The rest is history. It's a project word. I think rebuilding the walls was that. It was a bit like one of you, because you're getting more involved in helping to build a church, you have a burden to reach a particular kind of people. And so you talk to David Fair and you say, you know, I'd like to start a ministry to this people or to that people group. And yeah, well, to do that, we're going to need some resources. Well, what do we need? Really, we need a minibus. Oh, yeah. Really, we need a minibus. And I've priced it up and it's going to be hmm, 20 grand. Oh, but we haven't got 20 grand in the kitty right now. But let's agree. Let's pray. So you shared it with the church. <clears throat> you said, church, we feel God has spoken to us about starting this ministry. To do it, we need 20 grand to buy this bus, blah, 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 blah. You all pull together. You take a special offering. You get the money. They buy the bus. And one week you come to church and parked outside there, there is the minibus. With all the church livery on it. And you, you, you sort of all walk in feeling, we did it. Come on, we did it. You feel a bit like Nehemiah and the guys felt when they'd built the walls. God had spoken, you'd responded, and you're blessed to be part of a church that's doing something and that's responding collectively to God's word as one. And you would celebrate. But you all know deep inside that is not the fullness of what this church is. It's just one, one ministry expression of it. It's one sort of project and what we find in the book of Nehemiah is this somewhere in the journey a light bulb went on in people's head a switch was flicked which made them realize it's not all about the projects or the events there's another word 
that we must agree together to respond to if this disaster is not going to happen again. If we're not again going to slip back into a place of trouble and disgrace. And that word is what we would call the enduring word of God, the Logos word, the Bible. The teaching that, that, that governs and regulates the whole of our lives. You see, that's the word they'd broken that then caused them to end up in exile. So as part of this recovery process, they're realizing, yeah, God has been good to us. We've heard from him to get the walls done. That's cool. There's another word they've heard, which was about getting the temple rebuilt under Ezra, and that had happened. It's kind of, we're pretty good at doing the project words as they come along. But at some point, you and I, too, have got to realize projects are great. Having a specific ministry is great. Coming to church on a Sunday and doing a good service is great. But actually, 24-7, I need to be walking in God's word and ways. God's word regulates the way I do my family, the way I conduct myself in business, the way I treat people, the way I respond to criticism, the way I sort my issues out. God's word is what I commit to. Not just a project, the big word. The new covenant that regulates who we are as God's people. And I think there was a, well, I know for a fact, they, they, they realized that. How do I know? Because after Nehemiah 6, where it says the walls were up, the very next chapter says, now the city was large and spacious. There weren't many people in it. It's like, okay, the walls are up, but the city's empty. There's an infrastructure to put in place now. We need to think some other things through. We've got to repopulate it. And a, po and a process starts. And at some point, then they get to chapter 8. And chapter 8, verse 1 says this. All the people came together as one. So this spirit of agreement thing is on them now. They've worked out, we all feel this. We're all involved in this together. We're going we're gonna to go forward together. I'm sure their, their blood was up. <laughs> and they told Ezra, who is like the, the main teacher, the priest, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses. In other words, bring the Bible out, which the Lord has commanded for us. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. And he read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square and then it says all the people listened attentively to the book of the law this is interesting first thing that i like is this it says all the people came together and they told ezra to bring out the book of the law that's as if a, a switch has been flicked in all their heads and they realize we need to know how to live as god's people because if we don't know how to live as God's people, we'll, we'll go astray again. And before we know it, our enemies will be overthrowing us again. And all the good work we've done will be back where we started. We'll be back in trouble and disgrace. So we need to know the word. We need to know God's word. So they say to Ezra, Ezra, bring the Bible out and teach us. It's as if you all got together and said, hey guys, where's Dave gone? Dave, for goodness sake, Dave, get your Bible out, Dave. Teach us. 
Faye, where's Faye gone? Faye, come on, teach us how to be your people in this generation. How do we navigate the challenges of modern day life and integrate our faith with them? What does the Bible say about, about money and stuff and about business and family and relationships? All the stuff. Because once you're a follower of Jesus, once his spirit's in you, there is an innate desire. I want to know how to live God's way. You instinctively know God's way is the best way. God's way is the blessed way because you've tested it out. You've learned that as you take small steps of faith and trust him and obey his word, he anoints the work of your hands and that you find health and wholeness and you find that his power is released into situations. So the ask was from the people, not from the leaders. I wish there were a lot more churches like that. In too many churches, it's the leaders that are saying to the people, hey, people, please read your Bible. Hey, people, come to the prayer meeting. Hey, people, uh, we've got an Alpha course. Please bring someone to the Alpha course. And you've got a few leaders praying, trusting, casting a vision, and hoping that people will respond. But here you've got exactly the opposite. You've got the people saying, we need to know. I think this, it's an Old Testament version of what happens in Acts chapter 2. In Acts 2.42, after Pentecost, when the Spirit has fallen and Peter's preached and 3,000 have come to Christ, Acts 2.42 says, they, those saved people, they devoted themselves to the Scriptures, to the fellowship, to the prayer. There was a desire, a devotion, a love in the heart of the people that said, we want, we want to know what the Bible says. We want to be, we want to pray together. We want to stand together. We want to share lives together. The want came from the heart of the people. Going back to Ezra chapter 8, he says in verse 5 that Ezra opened the book. So he opens the Bible. And he says all the people could see him because he was standing above them. It's like on a pulpit thing. And as he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen! Amen! And then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Whew. Wouldn't it be great if every sermon was like that, Dave? <laughs> you know? But just think, think your way through. You, know, you so want to hear from God. You so want to learn from him today. You so want to know what God's got for you as a church family today. That when the preacher gets up or when the prayer you know, request person gets up or when James or whoever gets up at the start just to start the worship. You so want to worship today. You so want to be together. Something inside you can't contain itself and you go, Amen. Amen. Yes, come on. I'm in. Let's do this. I want to learn. I want to be here. And it moves you sometimes to raise your hands and to shout out amen. Other times it moves you to worship before the Lord. They revered the word of the Lord as it came. And that moved them to obedience. If you keep reading down in verse 17, it says that their joy was very great. I want to be in a church where there's lots of joy. <laughs> but the joy came... As they all agreed together, we're going to keep this word. 
We're going to respond to God's word as one. Joy came. And in fact, chapter 9, verse 38, which I'll use as the last scripture I'm going to use, Russell, just so you know. Um, he says this. They, they reflect on it. They reflect on the fact that they're all feeling what God felt, that they've all pulled together to build the walls. They reflect on they're all eager to learn God's word and ways. And it says, in view of all this, we are making a binding agreement. We're going to put it in writing, and our leaders and our Levites and our priests are affixing their seals to it. And back in that situation, they literally made an agreement. And it was kind of a covenant they made to keep the covenant. It was an agreement to live by the Bible. That's pretty, pretty heavy stuff, isn't it? That's pretty serious. It's like they meant business. Now, I know you're not going to do that. I'm not asking you to do that. But in, spirit, in your spirit, I want to ask you to give your spirit of agreement to Dave and Faye and the leaders of this church. And to give your spirit of agreement to one another. It's one of the best things you ever bring to church is your spirit of agreement. To have that sense that says, yeah, I'm in. I'm for you. I'm with you. I'm going to pray for you. In fact, I, I agree we all feel what God feels. And if we don't feel it, we're going to work together, pray together to find what God feels. We all feel what God feels. And because we feel it, we're now going to get busy doing it because we all agree. We're all living stones. We're all church builders. We're all on the same foundation of Jesus. We're all part of displaying his life to this lost world. So let's all agree we're going to get involved in the building. And that will move you then to say, wow, this is complex. I need to know how to live as a believer. I need to know how to live as a Jesus follower. So let's agree we're all going to respond to God's word. The thing that unites us will be a common faith in his word and his ways and kingdom values and kingdom vision. And that will galvanize you as a congregation. It'll galvanize you as a local church like nothing else that you could create humanly. And the result will be, there will be great joy. There will be great joy. And people want to be in a church that's happy. I, I want to have fun in church. I want to be able to weep, to be supported, to be comforted and encouraged. But I also want to have fun. I want to look forward to being there. I want to... Just those things don't happen by accident. It's everyone bringing that sweet spirit together that causes the agreement to be found. So my encouragement to you today, church, is please build in agreement. Don't be a random lone ranger building your corner somewhere, believing you're better than everybody else believing that God has given you something unique and special. And if, any, if everybody just looked at you and helped you submit to one another out of reverence for what Christ is doing in each other, have an agreement together that says, we agree. We all feel what God feels about this church and this community. We're all going to get involved in the building and we're all going to keep living by God's word and ways as one. And when the project words come, we're in.
But 24-7 anyway, we're into this wonderful word that informs our life and faith. Amen? Let me just pray with you, and then I'll hand back to Dave. Thank you, Father. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would forgive us for the times when we've brought your name into disrepute, when we've not lived honorably as a so-called Christian, when we've, when we've not functioned as well together as we know we should have. We thank you that your word says that when we confess our sin, you're faithful, you're just, you forgive us and you cleanse us from all that stuff. So we stand before you today as a, a redeemed community, a people who want to build our lives together on the foundation of Jesus. And we pray you'd give us skill and wisdom in 2023 to build this church and take it to the next level. Lord, I pray that many more souls would be added. I pray that you'd give us the mechanisms and systems and skills and giftings to build something that reflects our wonderful Lord Jesus. May we truly be your body in action in Newport. Maybe we the temple of your presence. May this be a powerful church that sees lives transformed from one degree of glory to another. Because right at the heart of it, there's a people who are in agreement. Lord, we agree with you that you're beautiful, that you're awesome. Please help us to represent your life better than we've ever done before in this season because the world needs you like never before, Lord. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.